0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. In these next few moments that we have together, I want to encourage you to plant your life in Jesus and in the church, the community of the redeemed. We believe that as you do that, you are going to flourish Over the course of this series, we're gonna look at how God has created you, redeemed you, and anointed you to flourish in Him and in the body of Christ. Last week, we had the pleasure of being joined by one of our executive team leaders, Pastor Lee Cummings, all the way from Kalamazoo, Michigan, who is also the author of the book that we've built this series on. Pastor Lee brought such a timely word about how we're created to flourish and our God-given identities and authority and fruitfulness and partnership with Jesus. And I want to do this. I want to strongly suggest that if you miss that message, to go back and watch that message. Additionally, if you want to follow along with us in the book as we walk through this series together, you can go to our website, CourageousChurch.com slash flourish, where we've posted a link to where you can actually purchase a copy of the book. And I know this, it will greatly enrich your life. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, go with me to the book of Psalms chapter 92 verses 12 through 14 i'll be reading from the nkjv and this is the text that we'll be working from throughout this series and here's what it says the righteous flourish like a palm tree they shall grow like a cedar in lebanon those who are planted in the house of the lord shall flourish in the courts of our god they shall still bear fruit in old age they shall be fresh and flourishing what does it mean to flourish And how did God design us to do so? Taking our cues from the scriptures, and like Pastor Lee pointed out last week, God has designed us to flourish in the right environment that he designed and created us for. Did you catch that? Notice that the righteous here are compared to trees that find the right kind of soil. And not just any tree, but the palm tree. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. Now, if there's one kind of tree that I have a strong affection and affinity for, it's the palm tree. Some of my earliest memories as a child growing up in San Diego, California, are of palm trees waving in the cool coastal breeze of the Pacific Ocean. Just the sight of them makes me feel all giddy inside. Come on, somebody. And it's why people, I believe, pay so much money to go on vacation to be surrounded by them. But interestingly enough, most palm trees can only flourish in certain kinds of environments. It's why you typically only find them in warmer or more tropical environments. It's also why you don't tend to see them in places where the ground freezes over or where temperatures get too cold. It's why I haven't seen too many of them here in Salt Lake City. In fact, in and out, the maker of arguably the world's greatest hamburger of all time, usually has palm trees all over their grounds and properties. Sadly, this isn't the case here. There are no palm trees to be found at In-N-Out in Salt Lake City. But I digress. The point is this. Flourishing is all about finding the right kind of soil and the right kind of environment. In the psalmist analogy here, the righteous are like palm trees that flourish when they're planted in the house of the Lord, when they're rooted in the courts of our God, regardless of their age or education or background, they're going to bear much fruit and remain fresh and evergreen. And this is absolutely key for us today. As first Peter 2 5 would later point out to us because of what Jesus the rock and cornerstone of our faith has done for us the church has now become the house of God a spiritual temple if you will being built up out of living stones and that's you and that's me regardless of our age regardless of our education or background or even our political beliefs thank God and as a result, not only are we loved and accepted in the community of the redeemed in God's house, but we are made alive together in Christ Jesus so that, just like the psalmist says here, we can flourish. Now, the good news is this. If you've placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, you qualify for this life-changing reality. And God's desire for you It's the same it's to see you flourish to see you thrive to grow to be fulfilled to see you bear forth much fruit in him now i don't know about you but that's what i want for my life that's what i want for my marriage that's what i want for my kids and for our church and for our city to see us flourish so what stands in our way what keeps us from seeing that take place well if I could be so bold, many of us are not flourishing today because we are not planting our lives where they belong. Instead, we're planting our lives in the wrong kinds of environments, surrounded by all the wrong kinds of influences. And as a result, we're not bearing forth the fruit of heaven in our lives, but rather the fruit of our earthly kingdoms and systems and ways of doing life. And unfortunately, as great as those are or can be, they will inevitably let you down. Now, I wonder if I'm speaking to anyone out there today that's been let down by an earthly system or way of doing life. Maybe you invested in the stock market and it crashed on you. Maybe you invested years of your life in that corporate job and they cast you aside like you were easily replaceable. Maybe you invested in a marriage or a relationship and that other person sadly decided to walk out on you. What do you do? What can you do? Well, Number one, you need to look to Jesus. He's the only one that will never leave you or forsake you or fail you. And without a relationship with him, it doesn't matter what you do. And it doesn't matter how you go about building your life. It's going to collapse on you. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's not going to last forever. Only a relationship with Jesus lasts forever. And number two, you need to reevaluate the environment and the things that you've been investing in. And that's where most of us are right now because of what's taking place with COVID-19. Many of us are being forced for the first time to reevaluate everything. And some of us are discovering in real time that if our lives are not firmly rooted in Christ, if we're not actually planted in his community and in his word and in the work of his kingdom, then we're not going to flourish the way that he created us to. So today, I want to do this. I want to help us in our time together by looking at ways that we can flourish by embracing the revelation of, that I believe changes everything. Are you with me today? Well, if you are, let me know about it in the comments section. Give me an amen. I want to start today with a story from the Bible about a man named Jacob. When you read the details of Jacob's life in the pages of Genesis, you notice that from the beginning, personal ambition and an inner need to be loved and accepted drove him to do the things that got him in a lot of trouble with his family, especially his brother Esau. In Genesis chapter 27, Jacob has tricked and deceived his father Isaac into giving him his brother Esau's blessing and birthright. And this was a big deal, especially in this day and age and culture. To receive your father's blessing was basically to take hold of your inheritance. And Jacob, whose name means supplanter or deceiver, essentially tricked his father and stole from his brother. And as a result of his actions, he becomes a man on the run. And it's here that we pick up with our story. Jacob is on the run for his life, and he comes to this place called Luz, which means to turn aside, or a place of refuge when turned away. Now, interestingly enough, both of these meanings fit where Jacob was at in this moment of his life. He had turned away from the path of integrity, choosing to become a self-made man instead. He had been turned away by his own family and his own household, and he had no other choice but to try and make his way out in the world with no real place to lay his head. And it's here at this place called Luz, with a flat rock for his pillow that Jacob lays down to rest for the night in Genesis chapter 28 verse 12 through 15 says this then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it verse 13 and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you jacob awoke with such an awareness of god's presence that it absolutely stunned him here he was in the middle of nowhere feeling as lonely as he ever had and yet now he understood that the place that he thought was empty and void in the natural was actually filled and alive with the truth about what god was up to in the supernatural and his response was this and i love it surely the lord is in this place and i didn't know it now I want to say to us, before we go any further, that for many of us, the description of Jacob's life and his reaction to the divine is a lot like ours. Some of us have been running around trying to make a life for ourselves, lying and cheating and taking and stealing and clawing our way to the top, only to find ourselves empty and alone and on the run from who God has actually created us to be. We might call that our true selves. Some of us us have been living lives oblivious to the idea that there's actually more about our lives spiritually than what we've considered. Some Some of us have placed so much emphasis upon crafting the perfect body. Come on, somebody. Building the perfect portfolio or trying to close that perfect deal that we're missing out on the fact that God is in this place. And I want to say to you watching today, God is in this place. Even though you may not know it, even though it may not seem like it or feel like it, but it has been my experience like Jacob's and like many other people throughout time that there is more to this world than we know and more to God than we typically settle for. And if I have any desire for you as your pastor or as a communicator of God's word today, it would be this, that you would come to know and encounter this living Christ. His name is Jesus. And I believe just one encounter with him will forever change everything this my friends is the revelation that changes everything it is this encounter with god that leads jacob to not only recognize that there's a whole lot more going on around him than he knew but to also make this next incredible remark in verse 17. he says this this is none other than the house of god and this is the gate of heaven in the midst of jacob's loneliness and rejection self-loathing and wandering he had discovered a home within the presence of god a place of acceptance despite his shortcomings, which is great news for the rest of us, am I right? And for Jacob, it was more than just an encounter with the supernatural. It was a life-changing collision of his heart with the purposes of the God of his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham. It went from being stories he had heard his father and grandfather preach about God to becoming personal. And in this moment, his perspective of who God was and who he was was forever changed. And I wanna say this to you, as pastorally and as lovingly as possible, it's not enough for you to merely have an idea that God is out there somewhere and exists. It's not enough just to believe in a theoretical concept of God if you've never actually met him or encountered him. And it's not enough just to hear stories about him from other people. And maybe that's right where you're at today. Maybe you even grew up in a home that talked a lot about God. And you've listened to other people's stories about their encounter with God, but you've never actually experienced one yourself. And can I encourage you today? I believe this. I believe that God wants to reveal himself to you personally, just like Jacob. Now, you may not have some kind of elaborate dream or some grand vision, but God can speak to your heart wherever you're at, no matter where you've come from, no matter what things you've done or the reasons that you've been running from your family or even God himself. And God is a loving father through his Holy Spirit is speaking through me to you right now. And he wants you to know that it's time to come home. It's time to stop running from who he's created you to be because he wants you to flourish. Now, In just a few moments, I want to pray with you. If you have any desire to know and encounter Jesus the way that we've been talking about today, and I believe this, that God wants you to know that there's nothing that you've done that can disqualify you from his love in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you think is currently hidden that he doesn't already see. Come on. And there's nothing that he sees that is going to change the way he feels about you. That's amazing news. And perhaps the better news about God loving a man like Jacob is that he'll also love a man like me or a man or a woman like you and as as imperfect as we are as prone to depravity as we may be the good news or the gospel of Jesus is that he's not going to leave you the way that he finds you he wants to change everything for you just like he did with Jacob and so Jacob has this life-altering encounter with God, and as a result, it reframes and redefines for Jacob everything about his own life, even the place in which he was staying. And we see this in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob goes on to rename that place called Luz, the place where he had received this divine revelation. He renames it Beth-El, which means the house of God. And this is so significant for so many reasons, but we're actually only going to discuss three of them here in just a moment. It's said that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond. And I believe there's a lot of truth in that statement. Jesus said that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. That's John eight thirty two. 32. The only truth that has the capability of bringing freedom and change to our lives is the truth that comes through revelation knowledge. This would be insight into how things actually are and what we are to do about them. In other words, revelation always requires action on our part. It requires us to do something with it. And it's here that Jacob acts or responds by doing three things. Number one, he sets the stone. Number two, he pours the oil. And number three, he gives a tenth. Can I repeat that? He sets the stone, he pours the oil, he gives a tenth. He sets the stone, he pours the oil, and he gives a tenth. And I want to look at all three of these today as a response for how you and I can flourish In this revelation that changes everything in Genesis chapter 28 verse 18 the Bible tells us that early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar in other words he takes his pillow and he turns it into an altar number one he sets the stone In ancient Near Eastern culture, setting up a stone altar or pillar carried tremendous meaning. A pillar was often used functionally as a support system to hold up the roof or the structure of the building. It also carried spiritual significance in establishing a place of worship. Jacob's awakening to the reality that God was with him and revealing himself to Jacob in this place led Jacob to commit himself to this location as a place where he would worship God for the rest of his life. How awesome is that? In this way, it becomes a picture of Jacob's commitment to build and support the house of God. Jacob sets the stone. In other words, he commits himself to God. And as I've thought about this concept of setting the stone, I've thought often about my wife's wedding ring. I remember being in my early 20s when I first picked out my wife's diamond and the ring upon which it was going to be set. I happened to have a a great friend whose dad is a diamond dealer, and I was able to go over to his house and to sit down at his table with him and learn about diamonds and stone settings and how the whole thing works. And so I picked out the stone or the diamond, the one that I could obviously afford, and then I picked out its setting. In my wife's case, she has a ring that holds the diamond and then another ring that's fashioned to it with smaller diamonds placed around it. Pretty cool. But why do we do that? What's the significance? We set the stone to demonstrate our commitment or our pledge to marry Love, protect, serve, honor, and join our life to that other person. The stone in the setting displays the symbolism of our commitment and the covenant that we're entering into. Are you tracking with me? And in the same way that I set the stone as a personal act of commitment to honor and uphold my part of the covenant with my wife, Jacob here is doing the exact same thing with God. He's committing himself to build God's house, Beth El. By raising up an altar and by living in covenant with God. And why is this so important? Well, today we have a hard time honoring our commitments, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. We break our word. We change our schedule. We ghost people. We ditch our appointments. And we even divorce our spouses that we've decided we can no longer live with. And we don't hold down long-term jobs. And the idea of loyalty to somebody other than ourselves or sort of what makes us feel good is absolutely foreign to us. We practice a very broken form of self-care, which is just another fancy way of saying we're self-indulgent. And as an aside, if you really want to practice some self-care, the way Jesus preached about, go serve somebody. Go love someone other than yourself. It's the best form of self-care around. Come on. And so the truth is, many of us have commitment issues, unfortunately. And yet, this is precisely where we're designed by God and intended to flourish. When we commit ourselves, when we set ourselves, The stone. Now, hear me on this. I know there is grace and mercy for the mistakes we make. Praise God. And this is not to place any condemnation or weight on anyone for their past, but it is to call us to a better and a brighter tomorrow. And that begins with you setting the stone in your life by becoming committed. What does that mean practically? Practically, it means serving the body of Christ where God has placed you. And you can't do that if you're always jumping around from church to church, it doesn't work. You are not a potted plant to be whisked around from one place to the next. That's not how God designed you to flourish. You are to be like a palm tree, like the cedars of Lebanon whose roots go down deep. That's not to say that God won't ever call you on to be a part of something new. I mean, shoot, God called Candace and I here to Salt Lake City to start and plant a brand new church. But hear me on this. It came after many years and many lengthy seasons of serving others and being planted where God placed us. Now, Some of you are not flourishing because you're chasing the next best thing. the bright and shiny new toy and I want to say this at Courageous Church we are not just some shiny new toy it's gonna take work and sacrifice and dedication and commitment come on somebody to see this church grow and that's what we've signed up for and you're more than welcome and invited to do the same if Courageous Church is not for you hey listen no worries but set the stone where God wants you to be build the house of God where he has placed you stop flirting with the bride of Christ and get on with the marriage. Boy, there's a whole other sermon right there that I could preach, but I'm going to keep on moving. So number one, you set the stone. And number two, Jacob poured the oil. You pour the oil. The second significant response of Jacob to the Bethel revelation was to pour his oil out over the stone pillar that he had set up says this so early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it that's Genesis twenty-eight eighteen. all throughout the scriptures oil is symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit as well as the gifting and the empowerment of a person as given to them by God the term is actually related to the verb to anoint or to smear I love that picture when a priest or a king was ordained they were anointed with oil representing the supernatural empowerment of God being laid upon them for the office or calling they were to fulfill. The word Christ in the Greek even means the anointed one. We see the anointing of God on Jesus to enable or empower him to fulfill his calling and mission as the Messiah. And as it was with Jesus and what God the Father was calling him to, so it is with us as the people of God or as Christians. In the Greek, the word Christian means little Christ. And it was intended initially as an insult. People back then used to use the word Christian as a slur against followers of Jesus. But what the world meant for an insult, come on, is actually a confirmation of the great calling that we've received to be ambassadors and imitators of Christ. In doing so, we take on as anointing the Holy Spirit, And with it his gifts and we take them out into the world to fulfill the Great Commission to make other disciples or little Christ how awesome is that this means that every believer is equipped with spiritual giftings which are to be used in service of Christ and his church that's what we're called to we're called to pour the oil as believers, if you've received Christ into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, then there is an oil reservoir inside of you because the Holy One, the Anointed One, now lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And His goal is not just to live inside you, but to be poured out and to flow through you. Just as Jacob poured out the oil, we are called to pour out our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, but even if I am being Poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. The purpose of God in causing you to flourish is so that what's in you can come forth out of you. Did you catch that? That's why we're called to bear forth fruit. It's why we have rivers of living water flowing in us. It's why we're filled to be poured out. And notice where the oil is poured out. It's poured out upon the pillar that Jacob built. It's poured out upon the altar of God that he helped construct. In the same way, God wants you to pour out your oil upon God's house that he's building in the earth, his church. He wants you to pour out your oil where he's placed you. In other words, serve the people of God that he's placed you with and connected you to. That's why it's so important that we get and stay connected to the house of God, to the people of God, to the church. That's why we're doing watch parties. That's why we're all about community groups and creating and fostering opportunities to come together. Because we are the church. We are Bethel, the house of God. And we need each other. We need to be together. We were not created to be alone. It's not good. It's not functional. It doesn't work. And you can't flourish by yourself. So pour that oil out pour it out in service to God. And like Paul says, be glad and rejoice about it. There's nothing worse than a crusty Christian. What's a crusty Christian? A crusty Christian is somebody who can't be glad or rejoice when serving. It's someone who's critical about everything. It's someone who grumbles and complains. It's a prickly plant. And it will suck the living life out of you if you plant your life next to theirs. So don't do that. Be a person that pours out their oil with joy and gladness. And number three today, and lastly, Jacob gives a tenth. Jacob's third and final response to the revelation of the house of God had to do with his wealth. It was a vow that he made to God that was measurable and definable and sacrificial. It was attached to the promise over his life that God would prosper him and bless him and fulfill the destiny upon his life. It says this in Genesis chapter 28 verse 22. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, the biblical concept of giving God a tenth is called the tithe. Maybe you've heard this before. And the concept of the tithe, which actually predates Moses and the law, mind you, was nothing new to Jacob. It ran in his family. In Genesis chapter 14, we read about his grandfather Abraham, who had received the call and promises of God. And as an act of worship and a response to the revelation that he received from God, he gave him a tenth, or a tithe. He did so by honoring Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace. In his encounter with Melchizedek, Abraham, at that time named Abram, was blessed by the king and bread and wine was brought to him. And as a result, Abram honors Melchizedek with a tenth of everything that he owned. It's interesting to note here, as Pastor Lee does in his book, that in contrast to Melchizedek blessing Abraham, the king of Sodom, on the other hand, tempted Abraham to sin against God by encouraging Abraham to keep his wealth for himself. And that's always a temptation, isn't it? To keep our wealth and our money to ourselves. And what happens when we do this? Well, we ultimately become a slave and indebted to that master. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that it is impossible to serve two masters. You will either serve mammon, which is the god of money, or you will serve God. And that is still the truth today, isn't it? Many of us fail to give God a tenth or even anything at all. And as a result, we're living in debt and we have no margin to live generously or to support our local churches or to even invest in God-given opportunities that come our way. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not how he wants us to live. He does not want you to live a stingy life. Give me an amen out there. The test of the tithe is always a revealer of how and what we worship I don't know if it was Billy Graham or someone else who said this but the quote is show me your checkbook And I'll show you what you worship and I think that's true as a pastor I'll be dead honest with you There have been times all throughout my life where God has directly challenged me on this and trust me I've looked for all the loopholes I've seen every argument for and against tithing and I've wrestled with all of it biblically and practically I've looked at all of this and here's the bottom line that I've come to know and discover about tithing. I've never met a broke tither. I've never seen a tither struggle when it comes to being generous. You know why? Because money no longer has a grip on their heart. The greater truth about the tithe is that God wants to break the evil grip of materialism and consumerism off of our lives and as Americans, this is the battleground for our worship, isn't it? Because we love our stuff. Come on, we love Amazon and Target and all of our toys, but the question is, do we love them more than God? Well... Just look at your bank statement, and it'll give you an unbiased answer about that. I believe with all my heart that if we had a healthy revelation of the church and our role within it, that giving would be our loving response to the faithfulness of God. If we understood more fully that God's faithfulness and his commitment to us, the act of pouring out our oil and honoring him with the first fruits of our increase would come naturally. It would be an overflow of our faith and our thankfulness. My prayer and my hope for you today is this, that you would, like it says in Malachi 3, test God in this. You know, he invites us to test him with our giving and to see if he won't open up the windows of heaven over our life. Friends, I can guarantee you this. You honor God with your first and your best, and he will honor you with his best. And you won't even be able to contain it. I've seen that in my own life, and I believe God will do that for you. Set the stone. Pour the oil. Give a tenth. You want to flourish? Start right there. Can I pray for you today? As I said earlier, maybe you're tired of running from who God has created you to be. Maybe you're sick and tired of not flourishing, and maybe you've never had a real encounter with Jesus. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now, which is simply going to ask Jesus to come and to reveal himself to you personally, and also to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to empower you to flourish in the earth. It's a simple prayer, and it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me, save me from myself, save me from the things that have me bound. I believe and confess that you are the son of God, the Messiah. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God, the father raised you to life again on the third day. Jesus, I ask that you would now give me a new life of freedom and hope in you come fill me with your Holy spirit and make all things new. And if you just prayed that with us, we want to say welcome to God's great family, welcome to the party, and we want to know about your decision today. You can go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital Connect card. This will help our team know how to best follow up with you and pray for you in the days ahead. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey and taking some next steps. Now, speaking of next steps, one of the best things that you can do right now is to jump into one of our watch parties at our website, CourageousChurch.com slash We've posted various links to all sorts of watch parties that you can be a part of. As I've said, we can't do this thing called life alone. We need each other. And as always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we want to encourage you to become a generous and lavish giver. Your generosity allows us to reach many with the hope and the healing and the courage and the life of God. It allows us to advance and to further God's mission for all the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And you can use one of the links that we're posting right there in the comment section or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com to give online. Finally, We've posted some really cool links to some various upcoming public gatherings that we'll be featuring throughout the rest of the summer. Now, if you're local, we'd love to see you and meet you and connect with you. Our next Worship in the Park event is coming up on June 28th at 4 p.m. at Flat Iron Mesa Park in Sandy. And we want to invite you to join us and to bring a friend. On behalf of Pastor Candice and our team, we want you to know that we love you. We are praying for you. You are God's masterpiece. You are his best. So remember, be strong and courageous. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.